You're listening to the All Truth is God's Truth program. In God's creation, all truth belongs to Him. Therefore, as Christians, we must connect all truth back to our triune God in light of His inerrant Word and His creating, sustaining, and redeeming work. I'm your host, Jared Moore. We're going to begin today looking at Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and we're talking about um, talking about what an embryo is from conception, at least according to Scripture. If you want to, if you want to control the world and how the world thinks, all you have to do is own the dictionary. If you can control the rhetoric, you can control everything. And you see this in, in even how this subject is talked about, the way that abortion is talked about. Um, instead of calling a, an embryo a baby, they use the Latin term fetus, which means baby, to refer to a baby in the womb. And it's rhetorical games is all it is, to try to take away the meaning of what baby means. We all know what baby means. We may not know what fetus means. And so fetus is often used... Um, to refer to a baby in the womb. And it's not just that, it's everything. Um, you know, whenever same-sex marriage was being passed, it was love, you should be able to love who you want to. And the, the logic of that, um, you know, if, that, if that's true, love, you should be able to love who you want to, then polygamy would be okay, marrying more than one wife, um, marry, you know, uh, uh, an adult son and adult dad marrying one another would be okay. Um, you can just go down the list of if adult consent, love who you want to is all that matters, then everything under the sun would be okay. But again, it's rhetorical games. And we need to get our rhetoric and our definitions from the Bible instead of from the world. Or otherwise, we'll fall for these rhetorical games. And on this issue, we need to make sure that we are not sitting on the sidelines because our children and grandchildren will rebuke us, not to mention eternity. An embryo is a baby from conception. From conception. If human life ends when a soul leaves the body... Human life begins when a body is ensouled, and that happens at the moment of conception. Babies are human persons, they're just small. This is the moral issue of our day. And there are many pastors who are sitting on the sidelines, they're cowards, they will not stand up and preach what the text says, preach what the Bible says, because it may offend people. Look, church, we, we need not be concerned about offending people when we are preaching about life and death for image bearers. The same preacher who will not stand up today and preach against abortion during slavery, he would not have preached against slavery. He would not have preached against moral issues that cause division. 
So we need to stand up and say what the text says when it's popular, when it's unpopular, as Paul told Timothy, when it's in season, when it's out of season. We do not take the pulse of the culture and then preach what they're okay with. We stand up and proclaim, turn the page, preach the text. When it's easy, when it's hard, we preach it. We say what it says because if the church is not willing to stand in the gap, instead of playing rhetorical games, who else is going to? Who else is going to stand up for the unborn if we don't? They have no voice. They cannot speak for themselves. They're the most innocent among us. We cannot be silent while near a million, near a million, 930,000 in 2020 were killed legally. We're talking about viable pregnancies. Pregnancies, as far as we know, that would have been brought to term and babies born. Over 930,000 in 2020. Now imagine if that was toddlers or teenagers and there were clinics set up all over the country where you could take your teenager or your toddler and have him or her executed legally, voluntarily. We would all be up in arms, wouldn't we? We have names for things like that. Evil, murder, serial killing. But on this issue, because it's out of sight and out of mind... People are not willing to stand up and say what this is. <clears throat> I refuse to play rhetorical games. Because one day I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account. And you are too. So we need to be right on this issue. <clears throat> Look, we can talk about loving people. We need to love people. We need to love mothers. We need to love fathers. Absolutely. We also need to love unborn babies. Mothers are not being executed. Fathers are not being executed. Unborn babies in this country are legally being executed every single day. We need to stand up for them. This is not a political issue. This is a moral issue. <clears throat> abortion has increased as far as 2020. These are the latest numbers we have. In 2018, and th this comes from the Guttmacher Institute, which was formerly of Planned Parenthood, their research arm. In 2018, 862,320 abortions uh, were carried out in America. 2019, that increased to 916,460 and in 2020, it went up to 930,160. Now, some of y'all may have seen statistics from the CDC that say that 600,000 abortions were carried out. But the thing is, that's based on voluntary numbers. And California doesn't have to report. New Hampshire doesn't have to report. Maryland doesn't have to report. They choose not to. These stats are based on the actual clinics and hospitals that carry out abortions. And the Guttmacher Institute has contacted in all those states. And this is what those states report. This is what these individuals report that they have carried out. So these are the abortions that we know about. 930,000 in 2020 alone. And so Genesis 1, 26 through 28, notice what God's Word says. Let us make man in our image. So the triune God, the Trinity, says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So all males and females are made in God's image from conception. We are meant to reflect God. That is our purpose. So we are not like the animal kingdom. We're even better than the angels. We are meant to reflect God in a very peculiar way, having dominion over creation. We're meant to display God. What hinders us from doing that is sin. But once we trust in Christ, He restores that image and recreates us after His own image, which is ultimately after the image of God. In eternity, that image will be perfect in mankind again, and even greater, because we'll be, be created in the image of Christ, who is God the Son incarnate. And so Genesis 1, 26-28, says that our value comes from God. It does not come from whether or not our parents want us. So if you're here today and your parents were not good parents, that does not change your value. It doesn't change who you are. It doesn't change that God has valued you as His image bearer. It does not matter who wants you, who likes you, what other people think about you. If God has called you His own, you are of supreme value. And just because you may not recognize it because someone has told you otherwise, it does not change who you are or your value. We are God's image bearers. This is why we should care for others. This is why we should care for the unborn, for mothers who are pregnant and scared and, and fathers who don't know what to do. We need to love these people because they are valuable. They're image bearers. They're meant to reflect God. Just because they do not know their value doesn't give Christians the right to agree with them. And it's not just this. It's those who are on death row. It's those who are in the prisons. All image bearers have a value that comes from God. Though sin has marred it, it does not change their value. And we must reach out to these people. We must pursue these people with the love of Christ and seek their souls with the gospel in addition to helping them financially and helping folks you know, feed their children and eat themselves and help provide for them ways where they can get good jobs. You know, all these things. Flip over to Exodus 21, and let's look at ancient Israel on this practice. Exodus 21. Y'all know that the Ten Commandments were given in Exodus 20. And then Exodus 21. God kind of helps Israel start to apply the Ten Commandments. Exodus 21, 22 through 25. Exodus 21, 22 through 25 says, When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judge, judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe, for stripe. So it seems that if a pregnant woman, two men are fighting together, they bump into her, she gives birth, baby dies, then the men are to be killed. Or if the mother dies, 
It's supposed to be an eye for an eye. Tooth for tooth. And so, you know, the Old Testament is big on retributive justice. In other words, an eye for an eye, the punishment must fit the crime. Today, folks, our, our justice system has gotten away from that. It's often unjust weights and measures, which is unfortunate. I feel bad for fellas that are trying to navigate that world, brother. I know it's difficult. But um, we need to do our best to encourage our uh, justice system to be eye for an eye. Uh, to where punishments fit crimes. Oftentimes they're either too, too much or too little, depending on the crime. But ancient Israel valued unborn children. And um, in our country alone, there have been over 65 million babies who have been aborted since Roe v. Wade was codified in 73. To put that in perspective, there are 332 million people living in America today and so that's a little under 20% of the U.S. population that we've voluntarily and legally killed in our country. You know, for the past four years, abortion has been the leading cause of death worldwide. And there's nothing even close, comparable to it. Um, in 2022, there were over 44 million. 44 million worldwide that were killed through abortion. To put that in kind of comparison, there were 13 million that were killed through communicable diseases, diseases that can spread. Cancer killed 8 million. Smoking killed 5 million. AIDS killed 2 million. COVID killed 1.2 million. Traffic accidents killed about a million. Water-related diseases, 800,000. The flu killed 500,000. Malaria, 400,000. And childbirth you know, worldwide in, you know, countries that are underdeveloped, 300,000 women died during childbirth. In 2020 in America, one out of every five viable pregnancy ended in abortion. One-fifth. A little over 20%. Abortion is nothing but discrimination based on age and location. The baby has no rights because he or she is in his, mother, his or her mother's womb. And um, it's very unfortunate. And you even have some arguing for abortions up to the term, up to nine months pregnancy. We used to hear follow the science. And now it's just sheer, it doesn't matter how old they are in the womb, you should be able to kill them. Church, it's just pure evil. There's no other way to slice it. There's no other way to justify it. It's just pure evil. People know that this is a viable baby who can live outside the womb with his or her mother's help, and they don't care. They flat out don't care. They want to make it legal for mothers to go do this. And we need to stand up and say that this is wrong. We need to love mothers. We need to love fathers. But the issue here, if there were 900-something thousand mothers being executed, we could emphasize heavily mothers. But it's the babies. It's 900-something thousand babies that are being executed. We need to shout about that. We need to come against that and call it what it is. And we need to plead with mothers and seek to persuade mothers and fathers 
to keep and raise these precious babies. And they are precious. They are valuable. And I believe that if these mothers and fathers would carry their babies to term, that they would, they would not regret it. They would not regret it. You know, God alone, since He is the giver of life, only He has the right to take life. And if life must be taken, only He can provide the parameters to take it. <clears throat> and God has not given mothers and fathers the right to abort their babies. God says that babies are made in His image for the purpose of reflecting Him, even in the womb. Flip over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Brother Jerry's been going over this in Sunday school. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The Apostle Paul is talking about when we die, absent from the body, present with the Lord, and how it's this, it's this wonderful reality, getting to be with the Lord. But he doesn't want to be absent from his body either. He says in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 8, I'll tell you what, let's start in verse 6. He says, we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. And it's just talking about the special presence of the Lord, the peculiar presence that exists in heaven. Look, we have, we have God in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, but there is a peculiar presence of God in heaven, His throne room. It seems that heaven is His throne room and we get to be in that special presence for all eternity. And so while we're here, while we're in this flesh, while we have this flesh, we're absent from the Lord, away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 8, yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. We'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. And so there's this emphasis when you... When you pass away, your loved one's soul and person go to be with the Lord. And there's this reality that even though you're immaterial, um, I don't, I'm not sh quite sure that we are immaterial in heaven, um, but the way that the Bible describes us is immaterial, our souls. Um, but you still, you know, you can still experience things like Lazarus in Luke 16 experiences comfort in the presence of Christ, and the rich man who's burning in Hades experiences pain, conscious torment in Hades. And um, even though the text emphasizes that their bodies are not with them. Um, but I emphasize this text because, one, it talks about death being the separation of the soul from the body. All right, the, that's what death is, and so life is when the body is ensouled. Two, when we are in Christ's presence, when our bodies are left here and we're with Him, we don't have a body in the intermediate state. I don't believe we're given a temporary body. As a matter of fact, that's why we, we're so careful with our bodies that are left behind, because that still belongs to your loved one. You know, the body that you put in the ground is still... You know, we, we buried my mother and father, and those bodies still belong to my mother and father. And actually those bodies will rise from the dead one day when they return with Christ. Um, their souls and, and persons will join back with their bodies and they'll be resurrected and rule and reign with Christ for all eternity. But right now, an embryo in the womb has more of a human body than your loved one does in heaven. But we believe our loved ones are still valuable, they're still persons, 
Um, but an embryo is just a tiny body. I would argue that's even a tiny soul, a tiny person. That the soul develops with the body. The soul being the immaterial reality that is us, the body being the physical, material reality. And so we, we all agree that our loved ones are truly persons and human in heaven. But because embryos are unseen in the womb and that they are super small, we think that they are not persons, or at least that's what's argued. They're not persons, you know. But the reality is they're just little persons because they are ensouled human beings from conception. So this was a disagreement in church history as far as um, who created the soul. Uh, Martin Luther argued that mother and father created the soul whenever they um, came together to consummate marriage in creating an embryo. And John Calvin argued that God at conception created the soul out of nothing. It's an inter interesting debate. Um, I actually lean with Luther on this, that the mother and father, instead of God creating things out of nothing continually, because it seems the text in Genesis 1-1 is peculiar when he's talking about creation. Ex nihilo, out of nothing. He's creating all things out of nothing. It doesn't seem that that's a perpetual thing that God does um, in the rest of Scripture. But whether you believe one way or the other, the point is that when does an embryo become alive, a human being? When, when is he or she ensouled? Well, if that soul is removed from the body, the body dies. It naturally follows logically that the only way that a body can be alive is if he or she is ensouled. And so for human life to exist, it has to be ensouled on this earth. It cannot be otherwise. And no one's denying that an embryo is alive. Everyone agrees that an embryo is alive. Everyone agrees that an embryo is human life. Therefore, if an embryo is human life, he or she must be ensouled from conception. You know, the science that used to back up Roe v. Wade is outdated, and I'm so thankful that it was overturned. You know, a year ago, if y'all remember, preaching on this day last year, I talked about how when Roe v. Wade is overturned, that it's going to, you know, I knew it was going to go back to the states and that there were going to be a lot of, there were going to be a lot of hiccups throughout our culture. Like, how do we, how, now how do we deal with these, um, you, you know, how do you deal with, Mothers who are being left alone by men to raise babies. And I knew it was going to be thorny, but the church needs to rise up and seek to love on these mothers and also to preach into the darkness and say that fathers should help raise their children. That it should not be legal for fathers to abandon their children. It shouldn't be legal for fathers to have nothing to do. Mothers should not be left alone to raise their children. The laws need to be stricter, and they need to be held accountable. <clears throat> and we need to preach that. We need to emphasize that. 
So we see that regardless of age or location, men, women, children are God's image bearers. We also see in Luke 1, 26 through 41, that Jesus was truly human from conception. <clears throat> I think this is one of the best arguments as far as when. When does a human being become a human being? <clears throat> is looking at Jesus' example because the church has always emphasized that Jesus is truly God, truly man. And even at Chalcedon, um, they came against something, um, I think it was Apollinarius, and I think it was Chalcedon, uh, where he, he argued that Jesus was, I know in the Latin it's tertium quid, it's um, that he's a third substance, a third substance, so divinized humanity or humanized divinity that uh, he's this third substance, but Chalcedon rejected that and said that Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. He's not a mixture. And so even in the language of the confession of Chalcedon, which was in the 400s, they argued that, that Jesus, that Jesus, you know, Jesus is a second person of the Trinity as far as person and that his humanity is united to his divine person, and his divinity is united to his divine person, but these two natures do not mix. They're united in the Son, but they don't mix. And they're distinguished in the Son, but they do not separate. It's the hypostatic union, where you have the two natures that are one in the divine person, but they do not mix with one another. And so we, we can't say, well, Jesus is divine, therefore he is sinless in his humanity. No, he's truly human. Yes, he is divine, but he actually was tempted like us, yet without sin. I mean, you might be able to beat Jesus in a basketball game. The Bible doesn't say he was good at basketball. And you don't have to be good at basketball to be truly human. You might be able to strike Jesus out if he's at bat and you're throwing a pitch. Where's Matt at? Matt might be able to strike Jesus out by throwing pitches. He's probably a better carpenter than a lot of us were, though. <laughs> but, you know, he might not have been good at dribbling. He might not have been good. At, you don't have to be good at these things to be truly human or to be perfect human. But you see here in Luke 1, <clears throat> there's just no doubt you have an angel appear to Mary saying that she's going to be pregnant with Emmanuel. And then you, you have the angel tell Mary, look, your, your cousin's already pregnant. So the Bible says that Mary, she hurries. She makes haste. She hurries to go see her cousin Elizabeth. And when she walks in the door, in Luke 1, 42 through 45, it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this grand to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she uses this language in the Greek to kurio. And kurios is what the Greek refers to as Christ. <clears throat> in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, when they refer to Yahweh, they use kurios. And so by using kurios to refer to Jesus, they're making statements about his identity, that he is Yahweh the Son. I mean, this is who Jesus is. But Mary walks in, and it hasn't been maybe a week or two at the most 
I mean, she made haste to come to Elizabeth. And so she walks in, and she's already pregnant. Mary is already pregnant from the angel. Prophecy fulfilled. It says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So it takes six to ten days for an embryo to attach to the uterine wall after it's fertilized in a woman's womb. And so the, the embryo may not even be attached to Mary's wall yet. But nevertheless, this is God the Son incarnate in her womb. This is too curio. This is my Lord, the Lord, that is in the womb of Mary. Maybe six to ten days old. And so who is this? Who is this? Now, if you believe that an embryo doesn't become truly human until several weeks later, until five weeks, ten weeks, whichever trimester you say, you have to argue that Jesus, which church history has always said He's truly human, truly God, you have to argue that there was a point at which Jesus was not truly human. You have to say He was truly God, and He became truly human, but however many weeks there, He was truly clump of cells. Which the text does not permit us to say that, but that's, that's what you would have to argue, which is, which is heresy. You'd have to argue, you'd have to make a heretical argument that Jesus is less than human whenever Elizabeth calls him the Lord. <clears throat> I believe that Jesus went through the same process in the womb that we do. Now there's miracle here. He is not sinful like we are, born with the sin nature. But nevertheless, he is truly human from conception onward, just as we are. And we, we know this when we're talking about miscarriages. <clears throat> when we talk about miscarriages, we always treat those miscarriages like we've lost a baby. Like you've lost a baby. Because you have. Those babies are valuable. Those babies are persons. I don't believe those babies cease to exist whenever they pass from your womb. No, they're absent from the body, present with the Lord. You'll get to see him or her again one day. But just because a mother wants her baby or wants to keep her baby or decides to keep her baby does not grant personhood to the baby. That personhood comes from God. That personhood comes from God. We do not determine what is in the womb. God does. You know, David said this in Psalm 139, 13 through 16. He said, You formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In the Hebrew, that's golem. It's probably the only reference to uh, an embryo in all of Scripture. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. So David says that he's fearfully and wonderfully made from the womb, from conception. We need to agree with David. And in Psalm 51, 3 through 6, David says, I know my transgressions, my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. 
so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. So in Psalm 51, David's saying he was conceived in iniquity. He, he is iniquity. He is sinful from conception. And the thing is, clumps of cells do not sin, and neither do they have a Savior. Persons have saviors. Persons sin. So how could David call himself a sinner if he's a clump of cells in the womb? <clears throat> in both of these texts, David's using personal pronouns to refer to who he is in the womb. And so we see that regardless of age or location, children are made in God's image. Jesus was truly human from conception. David was truly human from conception. And to conclude, all humans are truly human from conception. All of us are. At least this is what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> we need to agree with Scripture. Church, I think Herman Bovink is right about this. He, he says when science says one thing and the Bible says another, we go with the Bible and wait for science to catch up with divine truth. And this is what abortion has figured out. Right? They, used, they tried to use science to justify Roe v. Wade, and now they're saying that babies experience pain at, as early as eight weeks in the womb. They have reflex pain. They see as they have an ultrasound and they reach up in there to get that baby out in these abortions, to rip them apart in their mother's womb. They see the baby getting away, trying to get away while they're, while they're destroying it. I mean, this is a truly wicked thing that is out of sight and out of mind. Truly wicked. And if we could see abortions, I believe most, if not all, of America would call it evil. Would call it wicked and evil and reject it. <coughs> so how do we apply this? Well, if anyone here has ever participated in an abortion, or if you know others who have, let us seek to love on them and remind them that God, God is gracious. God will forgive your sin. In heaven, there will be mothers who aborted their babies and the babies together, enjoying the Lord for all eternity. Much like the Apostle Paul, who's present at the stoning of Stephen, those two are enjoying the presence of Christ today. The same can be said of those who have harmed their babies. You can be forgiven, and you can forgive yourself through the power of the gospel. If God has forgiven you, agree with God and move forward. There was a lady at my last church that had an abortion, and every time during this year, she would lament missing her daughter while also trying to persuade others not to follow the same path that she did, and she enjoyed the grace of God, that God is forgiving and loving. And you can too. You can too. The second thing is, is we need to fight for the rights of these babies in the womb. Babies deserve the same protections under law that you and I do. They should not be viewed as second-class citizens. They should not be viewed as, as only have, possessing value if another person says that they're valuable. They should have inherent worth from conception onward in this country, and that is what we need to encourage and fight for. Look, 
Mothers, they are our neighbors. Fathers, they are our neighbors. Unborn babies are your neighbors. We have to love our neighbors. Not just those who can vote. We have to love those who are little, tiny, the most innocent among us. They do not have a voice. And if we won't speak up for them, no one will. Also, we can adopt. <coughs> How many of us in this room should adopt? I would say everyone. Everyone. <coughs> and so ask if the Lord would have us to adopt. We need to lean towards that rather than leaning away from it. Or perhaps we could help others adopt. Foster parent, foster ministry is a very special ministry that more Christians need to be involved in. There are 407,000 youth and children in the foster system in the United States today. And 117,000 of those are waiting for adoption. You know, Southern Baptists, we have around 5 to 6 million people gathered every Sunday morning to worship in this country. And think about how we could wipe out the foster system. Wipe out those children that are... By wipe out, I mean we can bring them into our homes. And so let us at least ask the question how the Lord would have us to proceed concerning these areas. And finally, mentoring. <coughs> mentoring where if we don't have the ability to adopt or if we're not able to do the foster system, we can help parents shepherd their children by seeking to help mentor their children. This is where our school teachers are, right? Y'all are essentially mentors for other people's children. And so I want to encourage y'all in your endeavors to love on those children, to mentor them in such a way that points them to Jesus and to give them the principles from Scripture that will help them to flourish in God's creation. And I, I pray for y'all. I know it's a... I say I know. I'm a pastor. I'm not a school teacher, so I don't really know. But I can imagine... Um, how exhausting mentoring, you know, 28, 30 kids <laughs> every day uh, can be. But I want to encourage you to persevere, to continue laboring and loving on those children because the Lord is using you. So Christians, how will we respond here this morning? What will we do with what we've learned? What must we adjust concerning our thinking? And how must we change um, so that we can proceed and love all of our neighbors, including the unborn. As Brother Kenny comes and leads us in a hymn of invitation, I'll invite you to respond. Let's respond how God may be leading here this morning. I've been persuaded, he mattered. I see the Savior, I see His grace is amazing. I've persevered to the end. I'm born.